I realized, you know what? If I'm not connected and fulfilled and inspired, I'm not going to do it, right? And I will make crazy changes to my life to put myself in a place where I can feel that fulfillment and inspiration. What is up? Welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. This week, I have the honor of sitting down with Paul Conroy. Now, the reason I say honor is this dude is so accomplished in so many fields. And along with that has such good perspective on life. We get right into his accomplishments in the very beginning, so I don't want to be redundant, but he had a ton of success in all sorts of behind-the-scenes music, moves to action sports, has a ton of success there, becomes the CEO of Deer Deck Enterprises, goes on to make his own company, which brings all of his superpowers together and is absolutely incredible. More so than his business accomplishments, though, the reason why this episode was so special to me is his perspective on accomplishing your goals and following your purpose and just that inner compass is so good. And he has such a good way of putting it and expressing it that I feel like that's universally applicable to anyone listening, regardless of your career field. And that's exactly what this podcast is about. So it was just incredible. I like to keep these intros short. I really want to get straight into this one because it's so good. The last thing that I always ask is, if you do like it, please share it on social media, tell a friend, take a screenshot, let anyone know that you think would like it. This podcast has grown purely from word of mouth and it has grown so much. So thank you guys for doing that. It means the world to me. If you do post it, tag myself. I'm at Andrew underscore FTW and he is at Paul Joseph Conroy. Let's go. Let's get into it. I am sitting down with Paul Conroy. Yes. And damn it, I am excited about this one because I have heard the legend of Paul Conroy. Oh, I kind wow. Of, I found you through just a series of connecting dots of people that I respected a lot. Yes. And there was this behind the scenes, like every now and then mention of this person where I'm like, wait a minute, like he knows this person, he knows that. He was he was involved in that. So I genuinely am so excited to hear your story because awesome. I did a little bit of my research, but I left a little open because I wanted it to be real. I wanted it to be organic. Yeah. I am just excited to hear your story. I know you've been responsible for a lot of cool projects, behind the scenes on a lot of cool projects. Yes. So I'd have to assume that you're a pretty smart dude. Uh, you know what? I've acquired a lot of wisdom over the years. Uh, I'm not going to go ahead and call myself a really smart dude, but I definitely, uh, I've tried a lot of different things. I've learned from a lot of mistakes. And as I sit here at 49, yeah, man, I mean, you know, things are going pretty good for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm very excited to hear this one. So awesome. what I like to do the way I like to start every show is tell a listener who doesn't know who you are, some of your accomplishments, what you've done, just a quick introduction to who you are. Absolutely. So I've spent the last 25 years first working within music. I migrated from music into working in skateboarding, worked in TV a bit as well too. I founded uh, a company, Plus Foundry, four years ago when we launched Plus Foundry, the initial thesis was to be a bit of an incubator for influencers and influential brands. Plus Foundry has evolved into what is called Impact Real Life, okay. which is basically where our business is today. 
impact real life. We build live event properties for uh, brands and media companies and like our the work that we are most well known for now, we've worked with Vans for four years on developing Vans Park Series Skateboarding, which is a global leading competitive skateboarding property that we worked with Vans from like the concept stage. That's the second professional skateboarding league I helped develop. So in 2011, I started working with Rob Deerdick when I worked in skateboarding ultimately was CEO of Deerdick Enterprises. We developed Street League Skateboarding, which is a uh, global leading street skateboarding competitive property. And then going back into the music, when I worked in music, owned, co-owned a record label, management company, produced tours, publishing venture, merchandising venture, largely with underground metal, hardcore, um, Bands like Lamb of God, Every Time I Die, Cannibal Corpse. I mean, artists, underground artists kind of across the board. And I would say, you know, within the music business, my proudest moment was we, I co-founded a music festival tour called Sounds of the Underground in 2006, which was a three-year, definitely shorter lived than what I wanted it to be, but like this this festival tour that really bundled this amazing assortment of like underground metal, hardcore, and punk bands that didn't necessarily have a place to play. Yeah. And we took them out on the road. It was this incredible cultural community experience, like 15 bands on one stage, right? Playing in parking lots. So... I've done a lot of different things. I've helped develop a lot of different startups, but I would say as I kind of reflect back on my career, it's like on the live side of events, whether it's music, skateboarding, things I've done in MMA, like that's where I found the most excitement, which kind of brings it full circle to, you know, my company now impacts real life. We just focus on creating these amazing live event properties that hopefully the events themselves bring brand equity to kids yeah. where they want to come back every year. Dude. I just gave you a lot of information in a very <laughs> short period of time. I'll tell you what, though. The listener is probably very thankful for that okay. because it's a really quick, oh, damn. And most <laughs> importantly, uh, I am a father of two amazing girls, yeah. Riley and Tegan. I am a husband of an amazing wife, Tracy. Family is extremely important to me, as is taking care of myself Oddly enough, today, one year ago, for the first time, I stepped on a mat and started training jujitsu, which as a 48-year-old <laughs> was a terribly uncomfortable experience. But like as of today, I've been doing that for a year as well, too. Dude. Now I've given you too much information. That's Here we go, though. This is great. This is what I want. Yes. I, I've got a lot of questions. Let's There's a lot it. of things. And I think the, the thing that I'm most excited to learn is where this comes from. Like, how are you, you? Where does that motivation come from? Yeah. So I've got, I kind of, I put some questions together, but I want to hear your story because yeah. I want to hear where just the beginning of this and where that spark comes from. Yes. Because for you to be sitting here at 49, doing all of this, having this energy, being this excited to sit down with me. Yeah. You have something more than a job. There is a purpose here and there is a spark. Yes. And I want to hear about it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Briefly, take me back to the early days of like, 
finding your first spark. Like, take me like, I mean, I'm so curious on the sounds of the underground. Sure. I didn't realize that's what that was. Yeah. That's sick. Thank you. I know your story and music has been told, so I don't want to harp on that too much, but like, take me to those early days, just finding that spark. Yeah. Uh, the early days. So graduating college, like with no aim whatsoever and, and like really backed into graduating in college. Uh, I grew up working class, right? And I, I went to school for mechanical engineering and I didn't even really understand what mechanical engineering was. I had two cousins that were like the first two kids in my family, my extended family that went to school for engineering. Right. And like everyone was so proud of them. They were making like all this amazing money. Like once they graduated college and I looked at like the way they were appreciated and I found that as aspirational. Right. So I was like, well, I want that, right? So I literally went to the same school as my two cousins, started in engineering and failed miserably in engineering. Like I I was two and a half years into school. I'd spent all two and a half years on academic probation and I was about to get kicked out of school and I was able to like talk my way into staying in school I shifted into a math degree because math was the only, it was the only major left where like any of my, any of my classes that I passed could be transferred into. Long story short, graduated with a mathematics degree, had no idea what I wanted to do with a mathematics degree. Didn't want to be a teacher, right? Didn't want to be an actuary. But you did finish school. But I did finish school, right? Four and a half years, went to summer school every year, like limped my way out of school. Where do you grow up or where do you go to school at? Uh, Villanova. So like right outside of Philadelphia. So like born and raised Philadelphia, like that's kind of where, you know, where I come from. Okay. Got into sales out of college and I'd work construction during summers in college. So like I got a sales job connected to the construction industry Started working sales, right, after college. I was really good at it, right? Like, I'm, like, in my early 20s, like, with a company car, like, doing really well, right? And for a minute, I was excited because I was making money and people were excited about me having a real job, right? But then, like, the excitement started to wear off a little bit. Yeah. And there was a guy that worked in the warehouse for my company, who would see me at shows all the time. Like I was always going to shows, right? He's like, Hey man, like I'm going to band. You know, do you think you could help me out? Like you're good with people. I see you at shows all the time. And like literally that conversation was like the beginning of my entrance into the music business. Right. And this is like, this is where I started to discover myself a bit. Right. Yeah. So I start helping out his band and like I start and like I knew nothing about the music business. Yeah. I'd never been to New York, had like no connectivity to it. was a fantasy to me, right? But you did understand business. But I understood business okay. for sure. And I was good at communicating with people, right? So the second I started to get in the weeds of just now I'm helping out a few different local bands, right? None of them are making me any money. But I knew that people who managed artists made money. So I'm like, all right, I'm managing bands. I'm not making money, but I know that it can be made. Were you having more fun too? Did you uh, feel? I, yeah, well, so not only was I having so much fun, 
I started to get like really stressed and anxious with my day job, right? Like I started to like have this like epiphany, like, holy cow, like this isn't for me working a corporate sales job. I've got to like figure out how to like find business I'm passionate about. And I even have like, as I was thinking about our podcast today, I had this crazy flashback of being like 24 years old sitting outside of this sales appointment, like feeling depressed because I was just over it, right? Yeah. And like I was over it, but I hadn't figured out a path how to make money in music. Dude, and you know what's crazy? You said 24? Yeah. That's kind of a late start in music. Oh, well, yeah. And so, it, yes, And to time. be lost at 24, like that's scary. Which led to, and I would say by most people's accounts, I was lost until I was like 27, right? So like I ended up leaving, I left my sales job, right? I'm like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do it, right? 18 months later, I'm like $50,000 in credit card debt. Like I've got to like, I bought a house. I've got to sell a house. I mean, it's it's a financial mess. Are you so married I, or single? So at the time I'm single, okay. right? I met my wife right at my, at the time, soon to be wife, I had to move back in with my parents at 26 years old, right? My parents who were so excited because I got a real job out of college and I had a company car and like my dad's a mechanic, right? So like for him, for me to not have to work with my hands was huge. And now I'm moving back in with my parents because I want to live this music manager fantasy, right? And it was brutal, like, like just parents leaning and like well-intended by the way right they were worried about me i'm like clobbered with debt my parents are leaning in most of my friends are like what is wrong with you right but that stress of figuring that out was so much better than the stress of oh my god i am realizing i can't work in a place if i'm not inspired right so that was like this huge discovery for me where like in my early 20s, I realized, you know what? If I'm not connected and fulfilled and inspired, I'm not going to do it, right? And I will make crazy changes to my life to put myself in a place where I can feel that fulfillment and inspiration. I was just going to say that feeling, that lesson that you learned, that's not some wanderlust lesson that didn't hold any real consequence of doing it. Like you went through a lot of financial burden and Big a time. lot. So that had to have been a very strong feeling. Like you had to really know, like I am happier broke than doing something I don't want to do. Absolutely right. Like, there was even, uh, there was this moment I had with my parents where they were basically like, Hey, you've got to get a real job. Or like, you're going to have to move out, right? And I said, and I wasn't trying to be threatening to them, but I said to them, I'll live in my car if I have to. Like, I'm, I'm doing this. Like, it literally went to that place. Wow. And an amazing, amazing story, though, about my parents in that instance. We're talking about bottoming out. Yeah. My dad, who was like a hard dude. Yeah. He walked upstairs I don't know if I've ever told this story like Let's a podcast. Go. My dad walked downstairs and he handed me a $5,000 check. And he's like, I'm going to give you this check. You've got to make this work. 
And I said to him, I'm going to make this work. And literally, and like, by the way, like we had that, I was in a place where I didn't know how I was going to dig out of it. Like it was a bad, bad scene. And like, he handed me that check. And what's crazy is like, I exhausted that check. Right. And I was again at the end of my ropes. Then a friend of mine who worked as an A&R rep for Atlantic Records was like, hey, there's this big music festival in New York at Randall's Island. It's called the Guinness Flot. It was an Irish festival. He's like, you're Irish. You like beer. Like, I'm going to get you a bartending gig. And then I took that bartending gig and worked like my life depended on it because it did. I made like $2,000 in tips. Sick. That gave me enough runway till I actually got a real job in the music business and everything else kind of evolved from there. But like real, real ass struggle Dude. during that process. And it's also why I got through it and like I have been able to take on substantial challenges since then because i somehow figured that out it's like when you feel it that bad and it's that real the the bullshit that you deal with and anything else you're like yeah this is bad but i know what bad is straight up that's right and i love too. like i was thinking about this as you said it you're 49 right now yes it'll be 50 december 9th six weeks happy birthday in advance thank you i am 28 and I feel like I'm the first generation where even for me, I got some flack for dropping out of college sure. and taking an alternative path. Granted, you finished college, but then you did not follow that at all. Not at all. So for your generation to do that, I feel like is scarier. And I feel like for anybody listening to like really imagine that, like it's not the same as like this Instagram entrepreneurial time. Like that's a fucking risk. Matt, you could not be more right. Like entrepreneurs didn't exist back then, right? Like I I would say my path now is an often followed path, right? Like these days. But yeah. back then it was like, you are crazy. Like what's wrong with you? Like, right? Like there was nothing, there was nothing aspirational about what I was doing back then. Like I was fucking grinding in the street. I had a hustle this is not going to connect with many of your audience, right? <laughs> but like I had a hustle where when I would be in New York meeting with record labels, I would get promotional CDs, right? Remember CDs, right? Yeah, they, they scratch out the barcode. I would get those. I would then go to stores in Philly that would sell you CDs. I would sell them the promo CDs just to make a little like that's how like in the weeds I was of trying to climb myself out. And again, and I think today that's like, oh, that's an awesome story. Yeah, man, like cool entrepreneur. But back then it's like, man, what is wrong with you? Yeah. So it's scary. And you were 27 around that time. I mean, yeah, like I, so I started to turn for the better when I was 27, but like 24 to 26, like all of that was happening. Yeah. That's scary. And it was like when my friends were really coming into their own financially for the most part and like getting married and like everything just came later for me because I just tried, I, I had to figure it out. Yeah. And like, I, it's funny. I often wonder like, man, what, like if I didn't like meet Craig in the warehouse, like what, like at some point, right. That realization was going to have been birthed from me one way or the other. Yeah. And it just, it's funny how things work out, man. That's Dude, all. 
that I, I always, any story I hear, anytime I think about this, the one thing I can never wrap my head properly around is like that one little serendipitous moment. Cause it's always the littlest things, yeah. but it's so big. And there, and there are so many of those in my career. Like I'll give you another one. We had my partner, Carl and I at the time for the record label had a lunch with a guy who worked at Warner music group, right? Introductory lunch, no agenda. It was like, Hey, you guys should know each other. So we have this lunch at the end of the guy's name is John Esposito. I think he runs Warner, Warner brothers, Nashville. I think these days, awesome guy. And like, we have this lunch at the end of the lunch, he's like, Hey, we should find some business to do together. I was like, okay. And like six months later, we sold him half of our company in this massive <laughs> transaction, right? And like, I just, there was something about the way he said, we should find some business to do together. It just like hit me and then like led into this mate. So there's so many like big moments in my career that come back from these like seemingly innocent conversations. Yeah. Crazy. I love that though. I yeah. love hearing those stories. I don't know what the lesson is there. Maybe treat people the right. I don't know. Yeah, but I don't it's know just either. Cool. But they happen. Yeah, they happen. And I think that you know the the only, I'd say the only lesson with those moments, is if you hang in there, those moments are going to happen, right? You just gotta, but you just gotta be present and pay attention. That's actually a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, because they will happen. They You're will. Right. And everybody has those moments in their stories. So it's if you're present and if you care and if you notice them, because you said yes. it, it's like in the way he said it. Yeah. That's not tangible, but yeah. there's just something there. Absolutely. That's awesome. So again, I don't want to dig too, too deep in music, but tell me, so you're a manager, you're making it work, you're starting to find your success. So give me like the bullet, uh, the bullet points and like kind of go through just a little bit of finding your success in music and it taking you to what you did. Yeah, Totally. There are definitely some peaks and valleys in my my little micro music story. So the job that got me out of the financial gutter was uh, at the time, so this was like 1998, 99, Kid Rock, right, was an artist that was selling, and just get this, like at the time, like 400,000 records a week, right? That's Think about how much times have changed, right? And he had a manager that was a one-man shop who was based in Chicago who was just getting run over by all the momentum. So the manager asked Atlantic Records, like, hey, like, I need help, right? Is, I need, like, a day-to-day -day guy. Atlantic Records, the guy that got me the bartending gig. No. Yeah, he called me. He's like, hey, Kid Rock's manager is going to be in town, like, this Wednesday. You should meet with him. So I went up and I met with him. And he was just like, hey, like, I, like, I need help. And like, uh, he barely even interviewed me as much as like, can you help me out? He's right? just stressed. He needs somebody yeah. quick. And I was like, sure. I was like, man, I was like, I can't afford to live in Chicago. Like, he's like, you can live on my couch. Wow. Right. This is from Philly. You're in yeah, Philly. Yeah. Yeah. So like at the time I was getting very serious with who is now my wife. I was like, hey, like, this is my shot. I got to do this. I move out to Chicago. I live on his couch for a few months. She ultimately moves out there with me. Starting to cook, like I've got a meaningful job now, which is great, right? And you could feel that. And, and I could feel it. Then Roadrunner Records hired me to become an A&R rep, right? Wow. And at the time, and like back then, like being an A&R rep, 
was so aspirational, right? It's like, oh shit, like it was the biggest thing ever. I think it's still pretty cool. It is. It, it, de no, it definitely yeah. is. But it was just a different. It was a, like, yeah. It was like a certain like gravitas to it, right? And I, having loved heavy metal, loved so many of the records. And like the guy that like hired me was like a legend to me, Monty Connor. So I get out there and I take this A&R job. And Roadrunner is based where? They're in New York, 20th okay. and Broadway. New so York. you move again. So I move again. Yeah, good, good point. Yeah. So move again, living in New York, and I sucked as an AR rep. No. I'm really great at business. Yeah. And I'm passionate about music. But the reality is, AR reps like have critical ears. Like there is a serious talent to being an AR rep and just loving music is not good enough, right? Wow, that's a cool way to put it, actually. That's a very honest a, way to put and it. And it's but. just the truth, right? And I'm in there, and I'm signing artists, and I'm not having success. And like, what I also didn't love about the A&R process, for Roadrunner, for major labels too back then, you make a record, you hand it off, and then it's kind of up to the marketing and promotional team, right, to like drive the success of the record. And I need to be involved in everything, right? Mm. So like I'm delivering records that weren't going to be commercially successful. I'm probably annoying different departments inside of Roadrunner because I'm kind of being a manager like on the inside. Like you had a vision, it would get signed, it would go to the team and you'd be like, guys, it's not going to work unless we do this. Yeah, and yeah. like, and, you know, look, because I was a low-level A&R rep, no one was hearing me. And I thought... That was the end for me in music. I'm like, this is not like I'm going to be out. Now, that was the first time I started to realize I had anxiety issues. It was the first time I started to see a therapist, right? And I'm like, and I had like nine months left on my employment contract. And I was just like, I, like, this isn't going to work. I started to get really down on myself. What age are we talking? So I, this is like 2002, 2003. Right. So like early 30s. Right. OK. So actually some years in, like at this point, yeah. you've established yourself. You've worked with Kid Rock's manager. You've built some success. You have a name and you're feeling anxiety and you're feeling this for the first time. Like this is not. And it, what's interesting about it, like when I was struggling in my 20s, I was so driven to get to the next place. I couldn't feel my anxiety. Like it was just, it, yeah. there was this crazy like I totally tunnel vision, get that. right? I totally get that. And then as an A&R rep where you've got to like find artists and listen to music, there's this isolation to that. Like, oh my God, like, is this artist good enough? It, it was, I got very inside my own head, right? Yeah. Then a guy who changed my life, who to this day, is, I just had lunch with him a couple of weeks ago. So Larry Mazur who was an iconic artist in the music business during the like 80s metal days, just like from Kiss to like Cinderella to Megadeth. Like he was like the guy. He had an independent shop in South Jersey. He was managing one of my failing artists, right? And he called me one day and he was like, hey, like you suck as an A&R rep, but you'd be a really great manager. And he's like, if you want to come work with me, He's like, I don't have a lot of money to like pay you, but I'll find some money. And then like, you can like, you'll have, we'll have a shot, right? You'll have a shot with me. 
And I, he's like, I'm concerned about you if you stay at Roadrunners in A&R rep. Did that ring true to you or were you like, what the fuck? No, I, I was like, I literally felt like the universe handed me a lifeline. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you were like, like, he was like, I, and it was, you know, the Philly in him and the Philly, like he could be just brutally honest. I was like, thank okay, you. Cool, cool. And it was like a third of what I was making at Roadrunner it was like this credit line he could open up for me. Damn. And I said to my wife, like, hey, I know this is going to require like a lot of sacrifices, but like, I've got to give this a shot. Right. And she's always supported me. She's like, okay, give it a shot. Damn. Shouts to her. Big time. Ooh. Big time. Right. So this is now like heading into 2003. I resigned from Roadrunner. Right. And I get into working with Larry and right then like, Underground metal is rising to the top. Metal core is like really kind of birthing. Yeah. And within the first 30 days, I'd locked in Lamb of God as a management client. Every time I die as a management client, unearth 18 visions. Like I what, dude? nowhere, right? Like I like exploded this roster. Was there just a line out the door of relevant dope bands? Crazy. Being like, hey, we need a manager. Uh, they're all like like getting ready to pop and like Lamb of God, like at the time was the shit, right? Like they were like the biggest thing underground. They had all these huge managers like wanting to sign them and they picked me. And uh, I, and that was like that moment, like things really started to upswing. So every time I die, I was signed to Ferret Music. Carl who ran Ferret Music kind of saw everything I'd done for them and my other artists. He was like, hey, like, I've got to figure out how to grow my record label. And like, you're so good with business. And I've got some additional potential financing coming from my distributor. Do you want to join me and become my partner? And then like him and I synced up and then like we built Ferret. And that's when like sold the business. And when we sold the company to the Warner Music Group in 2006. Like right, you said earlier. Yeah. It, it was a great moment, right? Him and I like saw some like good, like, good financial benefits from it. We had some good resources from like Warner to grow our business. But we did the deal in June of 2006. That summer, brick and mortar retail just crashed, right? Literally uh, like, like buying records just disappeared that summer. Yeah. When and did the iPod come out? Probably right around it was, there. It was just, and we sold Warner that we were going to be the next Roadrunner and like within 90 days, we were like getting all of our records back, right? <laughs> it was just brutal, but figuring out how to navigate the challenges with the Warner Music Group and brick and mortar retails crashing. And like all of a sudden, like we've got to like figure like this moment of like what should have been explosive growth. We had to restructure our entire company, right? So that's when Ferret went from record label to record label and management company to producing tours to publishing the like we built basically like a 360 music company in 2006, which they didn't really exist back then, especially that, for independent companies, right? right? But like that's not strategy, that's sink or swim, that's a straight up. It is yeah, yeah. go into your head, figure this shit out, or in the words of Warner Music Group, we're gonna shut your shit down. Fuck. But it was the best, one of the best learning experiences. Like I tell people, like I got my MBA from the School of Hard Knocks with the Warner Music Group in 2006, 7, and 8. So. I mean, dude, it's crazy that you say that because even as you're telling me your story, 
there's a lot of other moments where I feel like you had some pressure. So the fact that that like that must have really been something. It was gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. That's damn. Okay. Yeah. So that so that's like I that's me like recapping my music business. Totally. And anybody that wants to do the deep dive on you in music, there are other podcasts out there. I know you've told the story and I'm fascinated by it. Yes. But you just have such a story that I feel like we can't <laughs> take too much to go that deep. There's a lot we can talk about for so sure. So then yes. something happens Yes. where you do a pivot. You I make do. a pivot. A big one. Take me to the pivot. Yes. So we're now... 2009. Um, oh, so that's three years. 2006. Yeah. So, okay. And this is like the beginning of my thought process that fed into the pivot. So, like, we are like unwinding our partnership with the Warner Music Group. Like, what's funny is the music business changed so much between 2006 and 2009. Yeah. The partnership we contemplated just ended up not making sense. But right. But you actually stayed with it for three we years. did. Yeah. Oh, whoa. And, and they wanted to keep going with us. We couldn't like align on a partnership structure that would make sense in like the modern era of the music business, right. right? So it was probably a moment of like just brutal honesty where it was nothing but good vibes, but you're like, well, what do we do? And it got gnarly before okay. it got, it got <laughs> really, really gnarly actually before it got good vibes, okay. uh, which is probably another podcast. Yeah, we'll get into that later. So we end up, the end result with Warner is we just hand them ferret music, right? We take our team, we oh. take our management business, we take like everything beyond the record label we take with us. Oh, right? you like gave them catalog so we're literally and like, took the active stuff that you were working yeah, on. Yeah, because they had given us a lot of money too. And it's like, okay, how do we like wrap this up? And yeah. like we had a team we were so connected with and I didn't want like the team to be a casualty. So it's like, okay, you have the catalog. Yeah. We're taking our going forward business and our team, right? That's cool. That's a cool split actually. It was the right split for sure. Yeah. So then as we're going, so as that happens, I'm at a concert in New York for one of my management clients, Children of Bodom. My I remember assist- that band. That's the, sick. Yeah, they're an awesome band. So my assistant comes out and he's like, hey, like Chris Cole's here. I'm like, cool. I'm like, I don't know who that is. He's like, man, he's the best street skateboarder in the world. What? I'm like, he's from Philly too. I was like, ah, shit. Like, I'd love to meet him. So Chris and I meet on Bodum's tour bus and we just end up talking for hours. And like, there's such crossover between you just clicked. Yeah. And like, and like the skateboarding scene in Philadelphia and the hardcore scene is just so many overlapping relationships. Right. I have an important question. Yes. I grew up skateboarding and then found music. Oh, so like that was like a big, like it showed me my first bits of like a something outside of the mainstream. No. Did you have a, that I, so as far as how I discovered, yeah, like so, like when you're sitting down with fucking Chris Cole, yeah. and like you're bonding and you're you're putting all these things together, yes. Did you have like a yo? I grew up skateboarding. This is so cool. Or did that come from somewhere else? I didn't skate. I've actually oh. never. I've ne- <laughs> What's funny is I've never been on a skateboard in my life. What? I've spent like nearly a decade working in skateboarding. I've never been on a skateboard. That's like me with music. I can't. I can't play a single chord. By the way, neither can I. <laughs> Where, where him and I really connected was just culturally, okay. right? Like the kind of people we were. Music was a huge connect. Like we liked a lot of the same kind of music. So we built this friendship. Okay. And like I'm getting to kind of understand what's happening in the business of skateboarding through getting to know Chris, right? Yeah. And there's so much like 
connective tissue with like the brands he works with and like my kind of music. They, and we actually, we did a, a signature shoe collaboration with Children of Bodom and Fallen Footwear, his like oh. footwear brand. So like there was just this real organic development of like my interest in like the business and like more importantly, like the culture of skateboarding, right? And all that's happening and like Ferret turns into Good Fight, right? Which is... And, so that's what that is. Yeah, which today is to this day is still cooking. Good fight's fucking sick. Yeah, and like I so Biggie, who runs Good Fight, is like a dear friend of mine, trained jujitsu with him once a week. Um, so yeah, so and so Ferret yeah. birthed Good Fight, right? I so I co-founded Good Fight. That's crazy. You didn't know that? No. That's fucking crazy. That's an accomplishment, dude. Good fight is like yeah. status. Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. That's like if you're in that genre, anything tied to good fight is like, oh shit. Like that's it. Biggie. You hear this, Biggie? Dude, Biggie like, is I don't I've met Biggie once, but like B the name Biggie in music is like, oh well, damn. So, like, by the way, I took Biggie off the road as a tour manager and brought him in a good fight. Bro. Yeah. Was, yeah. You you did some important things in music. This is crazy. I'll tell you what, man. The the most important shit I've done in my career period is the the young people that I've helped develop. Like just yesterday, right? I see a post on Instagram from a guy that interned for me and who was my former assistant. His name's Anthony Martini, who was just in billboards like 40 hip hop power players. Yo. Like, so like literally from intern and now he is crushing. So people like Biggie, people like Anthony, like these are like, that's the shit I'm most proud of. Like period. Right. Dude. So, so I'm getting to know skate culture and like good fights cooking. Right. But it's like more of like the growing of like everything we'd started. And I'm kind of feeling like, I'm hitting as far, I love creating new business, right? Like that's my deepest passion. Yeah. And I was feeling like I was kind of hitting a ceiling with where we could take good fight. And then I'm out to dinner with Chris Cole and his wife one night. And she's like, you should work with skateboarders. I was like, what? She's like, you should represent, like you're so good with people and you're so good with business. You understand culture. You should work with skateboarders. And literally, again, that random comment she made, Dude. like, I was like, all right, like, I got to figure this out. And I started, like, dipping my toe in the water, working with, like, Chris introduced me to this BMX athlete, Dakota Roche. I started helping him out, started helping out Mike V. Mike Vallely? Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a 411 VM tape where he films a day in the life. And I like I remember watching that so many times, being like, "He's so cool." Mike is fucking awesome. That's right? awesome. Yeah. So like, I'm working with him as well too, and I'm really excited about like just the wide open terrain of skateboarding, right? Like, yeah. whoa, there's like, I mean, it's all like all uncharted territory for me. So like that that feeling of building business and that spark that you had in music skateboarding was that but with an open road straight up okay like, exactly and like so and at the time i'm doing the same like i've still got good fight yeah and i'm doing the skateboarding inside of good fight then chris calls me and he's like hey i am firing my manager my agent and like 
I want you to work with me. And at the time, he was like the top dog. All of his deals were up for renegotiation. <laughs> and I said to him, I'm like, hey, man, like out of respect to our friendship, I don't know if I'm ready for that, right? He's like, it's your call, but for me, it's really going to suck if you're not a part of this with me. So it's like, all right. So like, then I start working with, then shit got really real in skateboarding. Then I'm out here. I'm in LA on business, right? Yeah. What year? So now we're talking 2000, like end of 2010, right? Ooh, skating was good then. Yeah, there was a lot of shit happening, right? Yeah. Well, because also another funny point of skateboarding is Tony Hawk Pro Skater comes out. I don't know the year, but I feel like that was important. Like where skateboarding was a little underground and we grew up doing it. Yeah. That game and like there was this awareness and it certainly felt relevant around. I think it came out before much before that it was on like PlayStation N64. But like that was a crazy time for skateboarding. hundred percent. And there was a lot of like money coming into skateboarding and like new business opportunity like entrepreneurial business opportunities and like so could you I had, feel it yeah big okay. time and like i i kind of felt like i was a set of fresh eyes on the business of skateboarding right? oh that's cool so i'm in la on business i'm having a lunch meeting with a guy who worked in skateboarding he actually was the guy who ran street league which was the business i helped develop brian brian alice yo how do you know brian because he's a legend. Oh, I don't shit. know him. What the That's fuck? sick. That's incredible. I'm going to have to like tag so many of my friends. Like, and just and, listen and, to this kid freak out uh, and how excited he is. That you so yeah, so Brian Atlas and I, it's so funny. Brian Atlas and I are uh, having lunch and he was just, and he's from New Jersey originally. He's like, hey, you know, nobody in skateboarding is going to take you seriously if you're on the East Coast. You got to be out here. Everybody's out here. Another like, oh shit. So then I'm like, all right, I think I got to move to Southern California. So I got to talk to my <laughs> wife about this. Move number what with your and, wife? Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, if I'm going to do this, I've got to go all in, right? Like I, so that was, that was in, like a real heavy moment where I'm like, I'm going to step back from good fight and I'm going to basically move out here. Which, by the way, like where I launched my skateboarding company is like a block away from here. And I'm like, I'm going to move out here and open up a management company that focuses on action sports. So talk to my wife. As always, she's like, yeah, hey, I'm down. Like whatever, you know, whatever we got to do here. Amazing. And so talk to her, talk to my partner, Carl, about it. The process of talking to Carl and like Biggie and then the artists was fucking brutally painful right Dude, i can only imagine because also good fight was ripping by the way at that time between the buried and me terror children of bodom behemoth bless the fall menzinger i mean we were firing on all day like literally like that's the, an understatement the it's... management business we had then cannibal corpse if i didn't say that, like the management business sick of it all like the management business we had then was everything I ever could have imagined, right? And by the way, like the money was great then and like the team was great. But as like I'd realized about myself, I, when I got focused on, man, I'm really inspired over here, money money falls back in line priority wise, right? Like it just, like I can't, and I've been in this place, no matter what the money is, if I'm not fired up, 
can't do it, right? Dude. So I just go through this brutal process of unwinding all these relationships, right? It was tough. Like, I, you know, there are people from my life back then I don't talk to anymore, right? But fortunately, you know, people like Biggie or Tim Bohr or Shapiro, like there's people from my life back then that I'm closer with than ever. Like strong management, got so many. Mad ball, like there's just, there are, what what's awesome for me, rather than focusing on the people that didn't support me back then, yeah. I really doubled down on those that did, right? Fuck, that's cool. Yeah, man. So then I made this big jump out here to California and just started diving in and like, we were in a very tight place financially. Like, you know, this was in, so we sold our house like end of 2010. And like, this is like recession, yeah. housing market, like I got clobbered. You sold your house at a bad time. You know, in yeah. the worst time, yeah. right? So shit got real out here, right? Like and you're was, moving to an expensive place. Yeah, it was really, it was a really difficult transition. Um, but again, felt like I was doing the right thing. You right? just had that spark. I did like yeah. I just I felt it. Then you know I was I had my management company for a couple of years. Rob Deerdick was a consulting client, and then that led to Rob hiring me to become CEO of Deerdick Enterprises. Which, you know, was another crazy situation because I'd taken on some investment capital from um, partners of mine. And then, like, I ended up leaving that company to take the Deerdick position, which I knew was like this life-altering move. Real difficult conversation with my partners. I mean, fortunately, the way we structured my unwinding of the partnership they ended up making out great financially, which is awesome. Like I so said, it all worked out great. But another like brutal conversation. And then, by the way, as part of that conversation to become CEO of Deerdick Enterprises, at the time, my office was two blocks, right? Yeah. West of here. I lived four blocks north of here, but now... Like the Fantasy Factory is in LA. It was when the Fantasy Factory was yeah. happening in downtown near yeah. the new Warner office. Yeah. So, so for me, I'm like, I'm in Carlsbad. I love it. Another difficult conversation with my wife, right? <laughs> We're like, we just basically moved it. We'd only been out here a couple of years. And she was like, hey, like, whatever you got to do. But like, let's not leave Carlsbad, right? Like, like we're because we are just getting settled in here. And I decided, like, now nah, that makes sense. And then for the first year, I, and it was right after we moved out, we just kind of gotten settled in. I lived in a loft downtown from a Monday to Thursday in LA. Then I can't work from home on Friday, I was home on the weekends. And I put my family in that situation. I was gonna, did you have kids by then? I did. Yeah, I had two kids by then, right? And um, that was one of the... And then, like, my oldest daughter during that time period got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So, like, on a personal level, dealing with all of that was really brutal. And, and at the end of my first year at Deerdick Enterprises, I... I had this realization like, hey, like some things are more important than business, right? Like I, I, I want to stay working with Rob, 
but I can't do this. Like, I can't be away from my family like this. And a friend of mine made a recommendation like, hey, you should get like a mobile office. Like, you spend so much money on your loft in LA. Like, why don't you just like buy a Suburban and like trick it out and have it be an office? So what I did at the end of that year, bought a Suburban, ripped a row of seats out of it, put in a laptop desk, put in wireless, hired a driver. And then for the following five years, I mean, this is up until like really last spring, I commuted to LA four days a week. I had a driver take me back and forth and I would leave at like nine o'clock in the morning after my kids went off to sleep, like 8.30 after they went to school, I would work through dinner and then come home. I did that for like six years. Six years? And what's crazy is I told everybody like, it's really not bad. I've got a driver, right? And like, you know, when I was in LA, he would take me to all my meetings, right? But the second I stopped doing that commute. Yeah. And like, I'm working here. I was like, holy, how the hell did I do that? Like it, I've got this ability to just kind of muscle through stressful situations. Yeah. And it doesn't, I don't realize how stressful it was. It's necessity, right? Yeah, straight up. So like, so yeah, that was, I did that for a long time. Okay, so we're about to get to another piece, but just cause I'm over here internally freaking out, being like, what, you were at Fantasy Factory? Will you tell me just like a second of, you're working with Rob at the craziest time. Fantasy Factory is ripping, they're doing all the coolest shit I've ever seen. Yes. You're the CEO of Deer Deck Enterprises. Yes. That dude has an energy to him that is insane. You do too. That must have been crazy. It was, Rob is fucking brilliant, right? He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, like just hard charger as well too. There was, and like, so at that time period, it was Fantasy Factory Robin Big was still running recurrently. Yeah. Then like ridiculousness started to pop off as well. You're seeing so like it. three shows on MTV at the time. And it was cr- and like just big relationships with DC Shoes, Monster Energy. And like we were doing like big deals with Kraft and like Chevy. So they're. Yeah. And I they think, kick flipped the Chevy, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah man. Yeah. Like that, I, I was there for that. Right. Yeah. That's so funny, man. Like, I, you're, Bro, you don't understand. You've been on the side of all the things that I was like, such a fan yeah, of. Your understanding of kind of my path in business is, is awesome. Yeah, this is such a treat for me. Like, I'm like, wait, you did this and this? Like, that's all the stuff that I grew up looking at. Like, this is the craziest thing ever. Well, and I, I will say that within Deerdick Enterprises um, came like one of the most powerful learnings for me. Um, I... We had so much shit happening, right? And Rob was so creative and so inspiring that like when there were ideas, we would have great meetings with potential partners. I got so wrapped up in like, go, go, go. We really lacked discipline, right? And like the lacking of discipline was my fault, right? And like as much, and by the way, from the outside looking in, it was like, Fuck, look at all you did. Like, er, like, y'all did pretty good. Incredible, right? It was incredible, right? But my battle was if I had figured out how to kind of support Rob with more discipline, 
there could have been like maybe less things, but more amazing things. Right. Mm. And, uh, and like, that was when I left Deerdick Enterprises, I spent so much time reflecting on like all that we did. Right. And like my inability to like understand the importance of discipline and focus, that that was something that like really carried forward with me and like it wasn't like an immediate fix for me to become more disciplined but it's like something i've just worked on ever since then and to this day i try and really practice focus and discipline so i had this as a question at the end but it's such a perfect just to touch on it yeah I feel like I've been the king of that, of like, you get so excited and like, take the Rob example. Like there's so many opportunities that I'm that guy. Like I'm always looking at a thousand things. And I think a lot of people relate to that. Yeah. And you saying that really blows my mind because there's always this inkling in the back of my head of like, double down on something and be amazing. Straight up. So what is your advice now that you have experienced it, now that you've had some time and you've thought about it, do you have like a... Have you figured something out with that? Or do you have a way that you look at it now? I do. Um, there's, there's three things, you know, one of which is um, really paying attention to like how you feel, right? Like if you feel scattered, right? If you, if you feel like you're lacking focus, like connect with that, right? Like I, I think my issue for so much of my life, I was so full of energy and I created, I, I put so much activity in my life. I didn't connect with my feelings on a lot of things, right? And like, and it, and it kept me from learning, right? I was just so focused on the next deal or the next thing that like, I couldn't even process my lack of discipline until kind of after the fact, right? Second piece being having people around you that you really look up to that can check you. Right. Like, you know, hey, like I'm thinking about these things. Like, what do you think? And have somebody who's got like the experience in context to say, like, hey, like from my vantage point, you're doing too much. Right. And like and having those people in your life is really important. And the third piece, which is kind of connected to the first piece. You've got to create time in your day to think and process. Right. And that's like every morning before I do anything, like I have like time with myself where like I get really gassed up on bulletproof coffee, like just my brain fires (laughs) and I think and I write in my journal and I look at what's in my journal and like that process of just creating time for strategic thinking, it helps you kind of like raise up to the surface issues you need to deal with. So where you can get like, I mean, I understand you're doing so much. So in that time where it feels simple and you can reflect now and be like, well, I just needed to realize that and realize that for myself. As soon as you're awake, you're into an email, you're into something, you're driving up to work. Like you really don't have the time to be honest with yourself and really feel and look at what's next. Straight up into that, man, like one of the, this is simple. One of the biggest things for me as long as I can remember, I'm waking up and I'm turning on my computer, yeah. getting right into my emails, right? Yeah. And when you do that, what happens is you immediately start reacting 
to what everybody else wants of you. Yeah. Right? It's like, hey, you're like your priority list becomes your inbox, which is Dude, everybody else's shit. I'm right? so bad at that. Right? Like you're explaining that and I'm like, yeah, no, it was me forever. I do not turn on my laptop to at least two hours in the day, right? Wow. It's like, I am going to read, I am going to meditate, I'm going to journal, I'm going to spend time with my family, I'm going to work out and like, just make sure my day is in the groove I want it to be in before it gets blown to pieces by some bullshit in my inbox, right? And it, it was, if nothing else, me like saying like, okay, I know these five things are really important to me having a great day. I'm doing those things first, then let the chaos begin. Damn. And as part of that, by the way, like in my, in my journaling, it's like, okay, like what things are most important for me to accomplish today too, right? So like by the time I get into my laptop, I've already drilled into my brain, like I got to get this shit done, right? So if there is what seems to be an urgent item in my inbox, but it doesn't align with the priorities that I've decided need to happen, it may not be getting dealt with. Wow. So yeah, huge shift for me. Huge shift. Okay. And to bring it back into your story, did it take like, because obviously you're doing your own thing now. Yes. Did it take ending that Deer Deck relationship and stepping away from that or whatever that was to kind of learn that about yourself? Like, was it after that that you really learned those values? There was one more step. Oh, let's go. Before it got to Let's that. go. Um, and this is a brief step. But like I, when I left Deer Deck, I went to the agency group. Oh. So like, yes, I went back to music for about a year and a half. And it's like, you know, the agency group, like my best friends work there, right? It's like Tim Borer, Shapiro, like, and then like the woman who was the CEO of the agency group at the time, Natalia Nastaskin, yeah. was a good friend of mine. Like she was great. And like, basically the, they envisioned me coming in and like working with their artists to build out kind of brand and business platforms. Like I helped Rob, right? It's like, okay. Like if you took what you did with Rob and do it with like Haley from Paramore or Wiz Khalifa, like, you know, that would be like it, for us, that would be huge for our company, oh, right? That, is that good die young? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that started, yes, that started inside of the agency group, right? right. <laughs> so I did that for like, and I went into it like really fired up, right? Yeah. But what I discovered early on is I was working inside of an organization which was not completely my vision, right? And I found myself, and like Natalia and I worked incredibly well. There were other things happening with the company that I would say created kind of strategic misalignment with like them and me. And I found myself like having to spend time on things that weren't exciting to me. And I found myself in like meetings with artists or conversations where like, I'm supposed to be telling them certain things that like could happen for their career, but I didn't feel like I could produce. Like I, I started to feel like at times like inauthentic and that's just not me at yeah. all. Right? And you had enough experience at this point to know when you're ripping versus the hundred percent. Like yeah. I, it became very clear to me that, um, this was not the right. And even though again, my best friends worked there, yeah. right? there was so much. And like, it's how I met Haley and Fly South Management. Like things happen inside of the agency group. Like I needed to do that 
to be where I'm at today yeah. for sure. But it was also um, a terribly uncomfortable experience for me. Whoa. So like, what was the thing? So you, the one thing needed to happen. Say it again. Sorry. Well, so you're saying like, I asked you like the deer deck thing, like, was it after that that you realized? Oh, all those so things? it was, it, like, was the, it was this, it was, the, it was experience the, as a whole. So like, yeah. So that, right. Thank you. So, yeah. It's, so the it's thing, all right. Dude, the podcast, like, you get to ripping. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I realized, right. Like the agency group, like I just, it wasn't a thing for me. I also realized that where I've done the best is like when I'm an entrepreneur, right? Like I just feel like I am a damn misfit if I've got to take my DNA yeah. and put it inside of another company, right? Yeah. So it, then I made this decision like, okay, at the time I was 45, right? Like here I am, I'm 45 now. I've got to figure out how to build a company that is like my vision, right? Yeah. Not that I don't want to have it influenced by amazing people, but like I just need to know that like the big picture, yeah, I can feel great about and I can control, right? Yeah. So I decided like I've got to get I've got to figure out how to raise some capital. I've got to you know, get myself out of the agency group. I mean, as as fate would have it, the agency group got acquired by oh, uta yeah. right so like i i mean it's funny too like i wouldn't have lasted a day inside of uta like again great friends there great company great just not me just not right me. and by the time that happened that acquisition happened i had forged a you know alignment with a plan of attack with a partner in financing that allowed me to just seamlessly translate transition from the agency group into what was plus foundry and then Haley's business came along with me as well too and like since launching plus foundry which has changed a lot and has morphed into impact real life okay so it's the same so i was familiar so from with a plus. company there's there are two different corporations right okay. there are businesses that sit in plus foundry which is like Good Die Young, there's a business B Sam I've developed with Zoe Saldana that like sit in and I'm still active with them. I sit on the board of both, right? Yeah. But then everything we do going forward, kind of evolving around our work with Vans and Vans Park series, yeah, is impact real life. And when we decided to like create this new company and this new focus, that's when I hired. Molly Scott, who worked at ESPN X Games for 13 years, and Adam, who had worked at Dutour for four years. And I've got, you know, from the beginning, I've had Jeff Taylor, who was my COO general counsel at Deerdick, yeah. who worked with me. I've got Lee Meyer, who worked with me in a big partnership at Deerdick as well, too. But like now I've like been able to forge a team of like specific expertise in developing live event properties. And, and by the way, like even like when I talk about discipline, Plus Foundry like started with like this and now it's just getting laser focused, right? Damn. And that's that's what that's been all about. But is for all of the evolution of Plus Foundry, I've been in the weeds of like working on the evolution, right? Now, I've been nothing's been forced on me. Yeah. Like as an entrepreneur, I've been able to like find my own way with great partners and great investors and great team. And like, I, I look at like the last, so we launched plus in September of 15. Right. And like, I look at the last four plus years since then and every damn day 
has been like business on my terms, right? With the support and collaboration of amazing people, but like sink or swim, like I am, I'm living this, I'm living inside of this the way I want to. And no matter what happens, yeah. for me to have had like four years, you know, four years and a couple months of this, like fucking amazing. Yeah. And that's the shit that matters. Dude, I what a story. It, Wow. Man, my brain, like we're getting so deep into this. Like my brain's hurting me right now. But I love that. And it's so inspiring. And like, I just feel you connected so many pieces to me. And I love hearing about Plus and IRL because we were talking just a little bit before the podcast started. And just that excitement that we feel with live music and events. And it really feels like you are authentically laser focusing on that where i understand now like plus can work with these companies but then like this whatever that is that you have is just honing in in your superpower and what's what's and what's amazing about it like the deep discovery i've had like so in business right like whether it's you know sounds of the underground street league skateboarding like my most excited moments have been connected to live right yeah but then when i go back even like as a kid, right? Yeah. Whether it's like, you know, going to shows, going to sporting events, going to like, you know, baseball card conventions, like I, well, like that just being inside of a community that, energy. that I'm aligned yeah. with and feeling that energy, there's it's so fucking powerful. On right? both sides On too, both right? Both sides. Yeah. yeah. So like I for for that to be where we're focusing our energy right now. It is so authentic because my greatest moments in life with like family and friends and myself have been in live environments. Like to this day, man, I will never forget going to see the second Lollapalooza, right? And it's on a, on a mountain in, in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. And like we are walking onto like where the concert footprint is on the mountain and there is Pearl Jam, who is the se- the second artist on the bill, by the way, All right. playing. And like in that moment was so fucking powerful for me. Like even to the- as much as I've thought about that moment, it still gives me chills. Right. And to be working in a business where I'm giving kids those moments, like I'll tell you one that just happened, which professionally was probably one of the most powerful moments in my career. And you will appreciate this because of skateboarding. Uh, I bet I will. So part of what we do with Vans Park Series is we'll build amazing skate parks and we'll leave them for the community, right? So we built this unbelievable skate park in Salt Lake City, right? Like the pros that skate are like, hey, this is the best park skate park in the world, period, right? So myself... The head of sports marketing for Vans and Tony Hawk flew out for a ribbon cutting, right? And we we're pulling up to the ribbon cutting. And like the, the neighborhood that the skate park's in, like, you know, it's it's in a, you know, neighborhood where like it's awesome for kids to have amazing things to do. And like we walk onto the skate park and there's a few hundred kids there that have their damn minds blown because this skate park is now theirs and they're skating it with Tony. Oh yeah, because that's that's That's, there to stay. It's being left for them. And like they're skating it with Tony Hawk, right? And I'm watching like 
Tony Hawk skate with a bunch of kids at this park that is literally one of the best parts. It's the best park in the world. I helped Vans put that together. Yeah. And that's like, fuck. It's amazing. Yeah. So anyway, like just Dude. So the power of emotion connected to experiences as, you know, someone to your point on both sides is amazing. And I love that it can be like what I do on the business side. Dude. Okay. I have to pay you this one compliment and we're at an hour. We hit our hour mark. Holy shit. I know. Crazy. But I have this one thing to say and then I yeah. have this, I have a perfect way to get into one last thing. But sure. My compliment to what IRL is doing right now, I think about this a lot. We feel that energy and it doesn't matter what era we're in. It doesn't matter what the event is. Like you just feel that energy. You see the smiles on those kids' faces. You see a community. You see people become best friends. And you're yes. like, oh my God, it's part of that. I also think that this is a very exciting time business-wise to be doing this because the internet has made, has connected so many people, but it's also distanced so many people. Straight up. And even like that little version three tour I was telling you about beforehand, yeah. bringing things to life in an age where things are so digital, I think is more powerful, but important than ever. And I don't really know where that goes. I don't know. I don't know how to put value on that, yep. but I think it's important. So again, I mean, by the way, like the name of our company impact real life, I like you, you just nailed everything behind what we do I and that, that like it, that dude, you I feel it you i mean it's awesome we're sitting here talking for the first time and we've cut co we've covered so much ground but the fact that you intuitively understand why irl exists yeah is fucking awesome so well, thank you I, yeah and i have to pay you the compliment because i intuitively feel it you fearlessly sought it out where it wasn't the easiest option, but whatever that thing was that you were so passionate about, you took so many risks to bring that to people. And I don't yeah. think you really care about the money of that. I think that you feel the impact yeah. of what that does. Yeah. And I, I really don't know how to express it, but I just think it's so important. And I think we need it more than ever now when the internet is connecting yet distancing people. So Thank you for building that. Couldn't agree. Thank you for saying that. And we're we're on the same page completely, man. Love that. So I had some other questions yeah. as far as like broad helping people. You've been through it all. You've seen it all. Yes. And I really feel like a lot of people will understand who you are and be like, damn, this guy could probably give me some good life advice. However, <laughs> I don't want to drag the podcast out too far. And sure. I think that we actually covered a lot of really good lessons in you telling your story. Awesome. There's one though. Yeah, man. And I want to talk about this a little more in depth. Sure. Because I think that whoever you are and whatever you're going through and any career, anything, this is important. And the theme of it in your story is so powerful. Knowing when to pivot and following your passion. Yeah. Because dude. I understand how big Good Fight was. Yeah. I certainly understand how big Deer Deck Enterprises was. <laughs> right. I grew up on that. Right. Sure. You have pivoted at times not where it's like, ah, oh, shit, I failed, but at times where there's passion. Yeah. That's so scary. And I can only assume that people are out there being like, damn, my life is good on paper, yeah. but I'm not happy. Yeah. So if you could just tell me a little bit about that perspective when you know it's time and like 
you seem like a really happy dude who has made such good choices. Yeah. So following that compass to stay happy, even at 49. Yeah. And I, I will tell you, like, I'm definitely happier now than I've ever been for sure. Um, and I think, and this is, I hope this makes sense. Um, because I would, I'll tell you that the 35 year old or the 25 year old version of me, it may not make sense. Right. But like, listening to yourself and i mentioned this a little bit earlier it means everything right like and this is like you know how you live your life right like you know what you drink or what you eat can cloud your ability to listen to yourself not getting sleep right who you interact with like if you really really fucking pay attention to yourself and you're honest with yourself, right? You can you can get a sense for like, okay, you know what? This thing doesn't feel good for me, right? Or maybe it's this person, right? Yeah. Or maybe it's this activity, right? But all of these things, like even like over the last two years, you know, I've been on, I feel like the last four years, I've been on like a great business journey. But over the last two years, like I've made a lot of changes to like my life as well too, right? Like, I stopped drinking like last December, not because I was like, I'm going to stop drinking. I literally was paying such close attention to myself. I'm like, you know what? I'm that not at my best. Even if I have a couple drinks, right? You know what? I want to be at my best, right? Like my, how I eat, sleep, like jujitsu, right? Like jujitsu is so damn hard. Like Three times a week, it's the hardest thing I do. Like, I'm fighting for my life as a 49-year-old man. But the way I feel after it is so amazing, right? And even as uncomfortable as it is when I do it, like, when I connect with myself afterwards, I'm, like, so proud of myself and so, like, grateful I put myself through it, right? So, like, if you, and again, it's it's simple to say and may not connect with, people in your community but i'm telling you if you can listen to yourself and be brutally honest with yourself that will inform when you should make a pivot and what's really interesting and i've never this is i've never had this thought before other than right now considering how much more my life is dialed in now it's amazing that I was able to connect with myself enough to make those pivots. And I will say too, man, my pivot out of the music business beyond the money that was connected to it and the fact and that I loved music, right? And it was all artists I love. I had a social stature connected to that that was significant to me at the time that I had to like let go of, right? And I am definitely grateful in retrospect cuz I didn't I didn't have my shit together back then, right? As much as I still not together now, but it was definitely way less together back then. I'm grateful that I was able to kind of see myself through that pivot and it really does like and by the way, it's another and I wasn't journaling back then, but I also think, right? If you journal honestly, yeah. And you write some shit down that is real and you look at it and you absorb it. 
and you put an action plan against it, like that's going to drive you to where you need to go, man. And I do think it's like, and look, some people don't need to work fulfilled the way I do it. If you can, if you can work nine to five at a job and like everything else you do in life has you so happy. Great. It's not about like right versus wrong. It's just about different ways of living. I could never do it that way. So I had to pay attention to like, okay, I'm really not fulfilled now. I'm not inspired. And holy shit, there's so much risk on the other side. But I'm going to get over there because that stress of dealing with that risk is way more manageable than the stress of I'm just showing up again and I'm not excited. Did that help? Did I did I articulate that okay? Brother, that was so powerful. Okay, yes. cool. And I don't think at all that it wouldn't resonate with anyone listening because it's just, it's so simple. Listening to yourself and being in touch with that. And it's honestly the hardest thing to do. And you're saying, as you're saying that, like, I'm just sitting there like eyes wide open, like thinking about all the times that I have and haven't done that. Yeah. And it's so real. And you're talking about journaling and like just now, like last week, I was like, I need to buckle down. I don't feel like I'm quite as driven. And I wrote my goals and I started deleting some that I think were written there for no reason. And like when it is there and it's written and you're looking at it, it feels more inspiring. Everything you said there was so powerful. Awesome. Yes, dude. Awesome. Yes. Cool. I feel like we did it. I mean, I I would sit here and ask you advice for days and maybe we (laughs) could do a follow up where we just go into that. But what an episode and what. Ah, thank you so much, man. That was that was awesome. Yeah, man, you took my brain to places like I hadn't been to yet. And that's that to me is a sign of an amazing conversation. So thank you. Really appreciate you. Thank you. And I, I really hope everyone listening like I mean, again, your work speaks for itself. Your accomplishments you. speak for itself. And I, I think that there's a lot to learn from you. So thank you for sharing this with anybody listening. 100%. Thank you. Yeah.